HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we head into the second part of our mini-series on global trade, where we talk about all things sweet, from chocolate and sugarcane to the cultural festival that accompanied the growth of the date industry in the U.S. They're using this romance and fantasy to say, dates are exotic and you should consume them. I like to think of the food that we eat as archaeological artifacts, in part because the history of humanity is in the stands in your produce market. It's not like other foods. We have very like, personal feelings about chocolate. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, Greg. How are you? Ah, oh, well, as we've discussed, that's a loaded question, but I'm, I'm, ha- yeah, I'm hanging week, in Greg. there. I'm every still week. vertical. Uh, but Souther, I have a question for you. Do you remember, uh, what, what was it, two months, five months, six years ago uh, when we had our friend uh, Eugene on from uh, coming to us live from Nairobi in Kenya? You remember? Oh, of course. Of course. The Rum Bishop. Yeah, the Rum Bishop. Um. Well, I was, I've been chatting with him because I'm a friendly guy, so is he, and uh, we were talking a little bit about what's going on with his farm these days, and uh, like, you know, let's be honest, everybody, uh, things uh, have been better. Uh, he's having some, some tough times out there. And, uh, right, because he was a, he's a he's a major advocate for 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 of course rum, but he also runs like a sort of a community farm, right, where they're growing all sorts of things that are and all sorts of things that are not indigenous to his area, right? Exactly. And that's kind of the, the, the I think, it, you know, the thing about him that I, I remember most in the interview is like his real sort of commitment to, you know, getting people to understand where their food comes from and kind of have a greater appreciation for the land. And I and I love that approach because I think that if you have, you know, a better understanding of where your food comes from and how it's grown, you'll be a better steward of the environment, but also kind of a better steward of yourself. You know, I think that I, I fervently believe that we as a nation would eat healthier if a tour of a hot dog plant was a required part of elementary school education in this country. Um, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to know how the sausage is made. No, they don't. Um, it's a really cool mission, a lot of community outreach, and uh, in a tough spot, like I said, like a lot of people right now. So uh, we actually have a GoFundMe up for him. Uh, if anyone remembers that episode or is just curious about the mission, uh, feel free to drop us a line. Or better yet, go to GoFundMe and look for Support Bishop Botany Farm. Um, that's the title. We're going to see if we can give him a boost and really you know, help him on this really important mission of building this, not just a farm, but like a community of people that can you know, understand and have a better deeper, richer appreciation for, you know, the land and the food that we eat three times a day. Like my, I, I, I've, I've recycled his quote from that episode so many times about like, you know, you need a doctor once a year, you need a lawyer once every three years, you need a farmer three times a day. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And the work that he's doing over there is, 
it's important, you know, um, especially in an area where he's at where it's a bit underserved uh, in, you know, in that regard. And he's educating people on food and foodstuffs and where they come from and also, you know, uh, uh, promoting a, a, you know, a healthier approach to those things in general. So, man, this is a great idea. I'm glad you did this. And I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, we'll obviously make sure to get that into the show notes uh, and then I'll put a link to that on my uh, Instagram as well. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also be putting it out on uh, my Instagram. And yeah, like you said, it'll be in the in the show notes, probably in the, the Heritage Radio Network uh, or excuse me, the, the Speakeasy Instagram as well. And yeah, just a cool opportunity to support someone who's doing some great stuff because that's been, you know, I, I hesitate to say that there has been anything particularly good about what we've all been living through uh, over the past 12 months. But I have enjoyed the ability that it's given us on this show to reach out and connect to some really great folks that might not have been able to swing by a pizza joint uh, in the middle of the day on a Wednesday in Bushwick to, to hang out and chat with us. It's been really cool to meet these folks and, and you know, hear about what they're doing and, and what they're going through in other parts of the world. Oh, indeed. If there's any even glimmer of silver lining to this dark cloud, it is that our reach has become so much more distant. You know, uh, over the past year, we've had guests on from all over the world, which we often do, but they're here in the studio with us live in New York City. Whereas now we can just ring them up and Zencaster in or whatever this nonsense is uh, from our <laughs> virtual studios. You know, I'm sitting at home uh, with my laptop and you're at your home with your laptop and you know, speaking of that, we've got guests from out of town who are virtually in town today. Who are we, who are we going to talk to today, Greg? Today, we have Camilla and Chris live from Charleston, which I believe is the uh, is ranked the friendliest city in the world. Correct me if I'm wrong, folks. But they are here with Volley Tequila Soda. Welcome, Camilla and Chris. How are you? Hey, Damon. Hey, Souther. We're, we're pumped to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, Damon couldn't make it today. That's Greg hanging out with me. Um, hey, hey. Yeah, so so glad to have you guys on from from Charleston. Uh, probably better weather down there than we're having here. It's a very great overcast day. It was snowing yesterday. Um, I'm certain that the weather's probably nicer down there. I love that town. I grew up in the deep south, and uh, I think that Charleston, to me, when I walk around that city, looks like if Savannah, Georgia, and New Orleans were smashed together. That's what Charleston is. Uh, it's such a beautiful town. I think that's spot on. Yeah, we, we're... We actually hadn't been here uh, very much at all before we moved here, but we heard it was amazing. Our uh, Camila's sister was moving here, and we said we need a change of pace from New York and and packed our things and, and moved down here. And actually, a big part of it was we, we had a, a little guy on the way oh, nice. and uh, just need a little more space. So we, we're loving it here. Yeah, That's how long have you been down there? Sorry? How long have you been down there? We we've been down. We came down in March, so end of March of of 2020. So oh man, you bugged out right on time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we got lucky on that. Yeah, you saw it coming and just bolted. (laughs) Good for you. Uh, And I'm sure the living is a lot easier down there and more spacious, as as you mentioned for sure. Uh, Well, congratulations on that great move. Um, So does that mean that Volley is based there? Yeah, it is. It was originally based in New York, but we have uh, since then moved moved the HQ to, to Charleston. And uh, yeah, it is a Charleston company now. And that's fantastic. So let's uh, typically, you know, how the sort of cadence of the show goes is we're going to talk a little bit about kind of your past uh, for this first segment, and then we'll come back in and talk about what you're doing in, in the current day. So talk to us about like, you know, your beginnings in the sort of beverage industry. Um where did you get your start? Yeah, absolutely. We've been in the in the beverage business for about eight years now. Um, I started a, a mixer company called the American Cocktail Company uh, eight years ago, shortly after after graduating college. And uh, we the goal was to really make something that you could uh, make a high end cocktail with without having to really know you know mastering. Uh, mixology or going to a, a high-end bar and and spending a very large amount of money. Um, but now the average person or, or a bar could use this tool to uh, make a, a good quality cocktail. And uh, I partnered with a bartender and we, we went through this long journey of figuring out how do you actually make, take an idea into a, into a product? How do you brand it? How do you make it? How do you deliver it? Uh, package all, all those different things we did not know 
what we were doing, but we learned and eventually we started doing winning some awards and our, our products were, are still sold in Whole Foods and um, we private label for, for a bunch of different retailers and uh, we became pretty good at, at making mixers. The, the problem was, well, I guess you, you should jump in and, and share, Camila, how you played a role in, in the ACC journey. Yeah, um, I came from a banking background. Um, and after <laughs> four years in banking, I needed a bit of a change. Chris um, <laughs> and I were already dating at this point. And so I said, you know what, you're doing something interesting. I'm going to come and clean up your books. I have seen your books and they need a lot of organizing. So I, um, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> this is a garbage pile. And this is a garbage pile and someone lit it on fire. I'm going to put it out and fix it. <laughs> um, so it took a while for me to organize those books. I jumped in with some operational help and, and um, we'd start a subscription box where we, where we send four cocktails with our mixer and, um, you know, a whole recipe card and a garnish and all that to consumers. And just how do we get, get that going? Um, so Chris and I worked very closely on that. And then from there, we, we came up with this idea to start Bali. Um, yeah, the, I, I was saying there, the, the problem that we realized was that we weren't drinking as many craft cocktails. So we were, we were making all these mixers and uh, we're, we're, the business is, is running smoothly and everything's great, but we, you know, if you're making these products, you got to enjoy them too. Um, and we, when we go out to a bar or when it was a normal thing to go to a, a wedding or friend's house, we would get, have a, Tequila and soda and a squeeze of lime or grapefruit. That became our go-to just because we found that we could still be productive the next day and not, not uh, you know, still have fun at night, but get things done the next day without such a bad hangover. Um, and we saw these seltzers popping up and we said, maybe this is exactly what, what we're looking for. You know, it's a, a clean alternative. Um and it, it was just a little disappointing because when we looked under the hood, we really didn't find what we were looking for. Yeah, I mean, when you say we, we saw these seltzers popping up, like, yeah, the uh, RTD, ready-to-drink uh, alcoholic seltzer uh, sector, has grown over 300% uh, the past two years in, in, in succession. I mean, that's a huge market to leap into, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, is. It, 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 it proves that there's plenty of opportunity in that market, but it also proves that there's plenty of competition right now. Yeah, lots of opportunity, lots of competition. And, and the, you know, the, all those stats have definitely not gone unnoticed by the, the big players. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're claiming their spots on the shelf. Oh, I mean, well, it's folks, incredible. It's me, a, yeah, go ahead, Greg. Sorry. I, I was going to say, so talk to me about, because, you know, it sounds like you you looked at these things and you, you know, it, it sounds like you're like, well, you know, we could do this, but better. And there was something that you, that we were talking about before the show that I, I had never heard of this term before, but now I'm fascinated about it. Can you elaborate on the Dorito effect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, that book was on my list of two reads about five years ago and I, I kind of forgot about it uh, and I was happy to see it in the notes. Yeah. So I'm going to circle back to it. Yeah. Talk about the Dorito effect. Okay. Um, you need to read it. It's, it's a quick read. Um, I, we were, I was reading it one summer, the summer of 2018 and I actually finished it, um, on the Long Island railroad coming back from a weekend out East to the city and I was just so annoyed because I felt totally lied to and I like went on this whole lecture to Chris about what we're eating and and I'm not a huge super health freak at all. I, I love food and I love to enjoy what I'm eating, but I also like to know generally what I'm eating and, and what I'm putting into my body. So um so it, it discusses the mystery behind the word natural flavors um, versus artificial flavors and, and the mystery that, that encompasses what it means. Um, no one really knows what it means um, and what are in natural flavors. They're all proprietary ingredients. Um, so for example, let's say a grapefruit flavor, it can say natural grapefruit flavor and it 
it may not have any grapefruit in it. We don't know what's in that natural grapefruit flavor. Um, the components that make up the flavor are all natural, but the flavor itself is derived, you know, it comes from a lab. So one of the most shocking ingredients that the Dorito effect discusses is um, vanilla flavoring and how natural, one of the components in natural vanilla flavoring is castorium, which is a goo excreted from the butt of a beaver. So if you see the flavoring, you know what you're eating. Um, but, but yeah, so it really, it's, it sparked from there. And it was just more of Chris and I being conscious about not trying to find something that doesn't have natural flavors on it. It's almost impossible because it's the fourth, fourth most common ingredient in food in the United States. Um, so it is very difficult. Jesus, to I have to. I have to assume that's right next to salt and sugar. Exactly, <laughs> salt and and sugar. and water. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it it's difficult, but um, we we think there's a movement towards cleaner um, cleaner ingredients and at least just awareness and and knowing what what actually is going into your body, but. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've I was a chef for many years before you know getting behind the bar, um, and uh, you know, long ago, Michael Pollan wrote uh, a pretty simple approach. You know, uh, when you're shopping at the grocery store, if you see an ingredient on a on a on a product that your grandmother didn't have on her shelves at home, then don't buy that product. Yes. Right. So, like, my grandmother didn't have, you know polysorbate 80 or natural flavors, you know? So, uh, you know, I just try and steer away from products that say things like that as best I can, but that becomes arduous and a lot of work, right? It does. Yeah. Um, also, and- cause it, it seems so innocent. I mean, someone, someone comes to a store and they see this, that, and that, which are all recognizable things. And then natural flavors, they say, well, natural sounds good. Flavor. Like, I guess that you know doesn't doesn't raise any red flags. Let's get it. Yeah, it, it's tough because there are natural flavors that that you know can come from, let's say, grapefruit extract is some is derived from grapefruit, whereas a grapefruit natural flavor you have no idea what's in it. So the term natural is probably is, something from a beaver, I guess. Well, yeah, I so. <laughs> natural beaver flavoring. Yeah. I mean, even, even that raises a question. You know, my partner at my business uh, is vegan, and he runs many vegan uh, establishments. You know, so I'm I'm shocked to hear that some of these natural flavorings come from animals, and I assume that vegans are ill aware. That's like very I, true. Very yeah. true. Yeah. Never thought about that. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. a vegan myself, but I'm conscious of that now that I run a business that is vegan. So. You know, it's that's that's shocking. Luckily, you know, we make almost everything that we serve in house, so we don't have to worry about that too much. But I'll certainly raise an eyebrow on ingredients of things that we bring in. Yeah, it's it's shocking stuff. And the the you know people think about food and and say technology is food is a place that technology can't really affect because we you know we you cook and you eat the thing and and day after day that's going to be something that you know technology can't can't really change but we we are seeing that you know whether it's with the the plant-based food technology is really uh making a, a impact there but on these flavors th- this is incredible technology if you go to these flavor houses these are billion dollar uh public companies and they have fascinating facilities where everyone's walking around in lab coats and they they can come up with uh, they can mimic any flavor the thing is that it it never ends up tasting like the real thing, but it tastes, you know, the, the Jolly Rancher version of the real thing. But it's become so pervasive in all of the foods that we're kind of losing the the appreciation of one versus the other. I think, you know, some someone may even pick something that is made with a natural flavor taste wise versus the real thing, which is that's just that's just sad, I think. Exactly. Well, we we have this this problem a lot, and and Souther, I think the biggest culprit in the bar line is passion fruit. You know, people know what they expect passion fruit to taste like because it's not a particularly common ingredient in your supermarkets. And when you give them an actual like 
slice or like, you know, a, a puree of passion fruit, they kind of like, they make a face of like, why is it so sour? And you're like, because that's how this thing tastes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the actual flavor of this. <clears throat> sure. The, the difference between banana and banana flavor or grape and grape flavor or grape and purple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think it, it, it all comes down to its aroma, right? I talk about it all the time. Aroma is 90% of flavor. And it's oleolyptic, right? Because we only taste five things, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, my favorite, and umami. So everything else is coming from the aroma. So I understand that these, these flavor houses are mostly, fr- frankly, just aromatics. They're really just perfume houses, right? Uh, well, yeah. let's stop talking about those jerks uh, and take a quick break. We're going to come back uh, and keep talking with the team from Volley uh, and how they don't use any of that junk we just talked about. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, today we're talking with Camilla and Chris of Volley Tequila Soda, who are bravely going up against the juggernaut of all natural flavors, quote unquote. Uh, so so I, I can obviously, you know, anyone who listens to this show appreciates, you know, knowing where their ingredients come from and knowing that, you know, when you buy something that is vanilla flavored. It's flavored with an actual vanilla bean pod and not, you know, something that came out of the back end of a beaver. But, you know, it seems like that when we were talking, that market for these quote unquote natural flavors is so pervasive that going up against that must have been a huge uphill battle when y'all were starting. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, the 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 early days of Vali tequila soda and convincing people that, you know, no, when I when we say natural ingredients, we mean things you actually know what they look like and can buy in a store. Yeah, this journey's been going on for, for two years, even though we just launched in into the market in, in July of last year. Uh, it's been in the works for two years and there, that encompassed, you know, making the product, the the branding, but also all the legal steps. And that, that was a big part where uh, the TTB is who regulates uh, your your product labels and every step of the, the products. It's not the FDA uh, for alcohol. Um, and so with the with the package, we actually were told that we couldn't put uh, 100% agave tequila and organic juice on the on the product label. What was it, Camila? You were on the compliance thing. Yeah, I work on the compliance side. So we, it, it, they fall under categories, and our category was tequila with with natural flavors. And we had to put a stink up and saying we, you can put us in that category, but we're not putting that on our can because we don't have natural flavors. So why are we going to associate ourselves with a product that uses natural flavors. Um, right. Because your whole stand was against the natural flavor. Exactly. It was like, we would be defeating the whole purpose of starting the yeah. brand. And we're like, we all, we've phrased it as why would we lie to the consumer and tell them there's something in there that's not in there? 
And what so, an unusual battle to have to fight, to have to fight to say, I'm doing the right thing. It you is. It was, it, it was that sh- was what was shocking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, you you was think shocking. it would be the other way. You think that these guys who are using those, those uh, you know, uh, uh, synthetics would have to step forward and be like, this is synthetic. We, we have to fight to say that we're doing the wrong thing. Why do you have to fight to do the right thing? Right. And and it wasn't just that. We, we actually tried to be a lot more transparent about a lot of things. So on the nutritional panel, we wanted to put uh, sugar content. Just the normal added nutrition. Sugar, like, like what's on all other packages. And we were asked, we were asked, asked to remove sugar from our nutritional panel, which – and put protein in there. And I was like, guys, this is, this is tequila with juice. Like there's no protein in this, obviously. Like, <laughs> we're not putting whey powder in here. Like, what are you talking about? And remove sugar. Like that's what you need to know if you're drinking something. So it's interesting. Um, it's something that I would love to pursue further, but we pick our battles and one day, hopefully we'll be able to put sugar on there. It, it was it was so shocking that it, I was I had to put in I was like let me just write this very clearly to you and I emailed the TTB person I'm like so you would like me to remove sugar and added sugar from this nutritional panel we cannot include that there and she said yes I was like okay well that then that's that's what we're gonna do here but it was yeah. it a I mean very- that's a, if you ever saw the the movie Super Size Me by Morgan Spurlock. You know, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole section in there where they talk about uh, labeling from the FDA and how, if you'll notice, every everything that gets labeled, which is, by, by the way, everything, including water, gets a, a label. Um, there's the amount that of whatever the product, you know, carbohydrates, how many carbohydrates are in here by the gram, and then a percentage, which is your daily allowance. There is no percentage next to sugar because the sugar lobbies lobbied so hard to not have a percentage put on there because if they did, you'd wipe out 100% of your sugar intake on your first meal of the day. Yeah. So actually, they that just changed. What was it, like a, a year ago or so? They, they made an update and they added – it was a big breakthrough that they uh, required an added line that says added sugar. And there, they are, there was a big lobbying for what that percentage would be. And it is, it is far above what the – uh, daily intake is suggested to be, and uh, so yeah, it's it's still even though they've gotten that on there, it's it's still a, a grossly uh, misaligned number. Yeah, <laughs> was that when you when you say there was a lobbying campaign? Was it you just writing a bunch of different emails, just being like, I want to put sugar on here. Let me put my sugar on this can. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, setting aside educating, you know, the Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, which, you know, <laughs> you, you're braver individuals than me for taking that on. Yeah, is there also uh, a level of educating the consumer that has to go into this? Because, I mean, I've I've learned stuff just in the last 20 minutes about, you know, air quotes, air quotes, natural flavors that I didn't before. Like, how do you go about showing people that no what's what's in here really is different it's not this proprietary synthetic stuff it really is stuff that you know and what was sort of your approach to get the average person to realize that what you were doing was different yeah so that that's been the what the brand is all about is telling how do we figure out how to tell that story and it makes it exciting because it's it's not just a a alcoholic can a seltzer can that uh, another one in the market and let's see how we market it and, and get it to consumers. There's, there's something that we want to tell everybody and it's, we tell it through the product, which is that real juice does settle. And uh, we're doing that through our packaging, trying to communicate and bring people back to what they already know that yes, re- real juice does settle. And you know that when you go to the juice aisle in the, in the grocery store because you can see it through the clear bottles and, and you look and you say, Oh, that must be good. Cause it's, it's settled. I'm going to shake it up, but you can't, you can't see that in the can cause it's, it's metal. Um, so we have communication on, on the packaging, but all of our marketing is telling people to remember that real juice settles and you need to flip the can. So we've got some some exciting packaging updates that are coming up to tell that even more aggressively. But it's fun for us to come up with different ways to to tell that, and it's it's through 
uh, our advertising and just uh, talking to you guys and, and different opportunities that we can remind people of what's what they're actually consuming. So it is a person by person. It's, it's a very uh, uphill battle. Uh, you know, the natural flavors have have cornered the market there, as we said, the fourth most common ingredient in food. So there no one really questions it. Um, but that's that's a exciting battle. So we're we're pumped about it and, and we want to keep keep getting the word out. Well, let's talk about another battle that you're undergoing that is in the same vein, honestly. So, you know, you've picked up two axes to, to grind. Um, most of these, uh, you know, uh, alcoholic seltzers are fermented products, which is effectively it's beer. But what you're saying is yours is seltzer water and tequila and then juice. Yes. Exactly. So, so like, how are you fighting that giant? You know, I feel like everyone who grabs a White Claw thinks to themselves, oh, I'm drinking vodka and soda, and it's not. It's beer. Yes, that's so true. So that's actually how we it also we also came up with the idea of volley. So around the time when I finished the Dorito Effect, Chris and I were chatting, and these seltzers were popping up everywhere. And, of course, they're light. They're refreshing. You drink it in a beer moment or when you want to have rosé, like when it's really warm. They're very refreshing. So um, I, like you just said, thought this has got to be vodka. It's light and you don't really taste the alcohol in it. You don't taste any alcohol in it. So it's got to be vodka. And after so much Googling and reading like this is fermented cane sugar, what even is fermented cane sugar? I can't wrap my head around it. It was just still so mysterious that we were like, we need to create something with tequila. I drink tequila. Chris started drinking tequila. And um, and we think that there's other people out there that, that want a good product. Um, so we we started this journey um, to create to create Volley. And it it's definitely been um, interesting because we're under the RTD space, the ready to drink category. Um, and that can encompass cocktails. So you could be drinking like an old fashioned and that can be in the same category as volley where we really believe that volley replaces is about, is in between the beer moment and the RTD and even leaning towards the beer moment because it is such a refreshing drink. It is very light and the agave note is so subtle. Um, So it has been a challenge in saying that, look, we're a tequila seltzer, but we're also a spiked seltzer because we're not that heavy cocktail that you can have one or two, um, but you may not want to drink all night long. And um, that's a, that's a different, that's a different battle that we're facing. But I think that the category is so fluid right now and it's still being defined um, that there's a lot of room for it. And the, the other big part of this is cost. So these malt beverages, they're in a different tax category. So absolutely, Yeah, absolutely. I was going to bring that up. Uh, that, that means that they can, I was going to bring that up based on cost of goods, right? What is, well, go ahead and, and say what you're going to say, but my, my end question is going to be, how does that affect the retail price for the consumer? Because the tax is going to be wildly different, right? Tremendous cost differential. So you've got, uh, before we talk about even importing a product that's, that's made in a different country, you've got uh, huge state excise taxes, which are different on a state-by-state basis. So, for example, in certain states a spirit-based product has to pay $13 per case. And that's that's on our product, which is low, very low ABV um, versus, you know, it's if you had a higher ABV, like a, actually a, a bottle of tequila, it would be a huge amount. So when you're putting uh, a case of Volley against a case of uh, White Claw, the cost of goods might not be that different, but when you have a huge excise tax, uh, it's it's night and day. You can't you can't be uh, on the shelf at the same price. So a, a Truly or, or White Claw are more in the 1.5 per per can range, and you'll find these RTDs are more in the three to four range. I mean that's that's a huge differential, and I can't even believe that it's such a, uh, a a burden of tax on you, the maker. $13 a case seems, frankly, outrageous. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, like, how is one supposed to create a product that is shelfable and marketable at, at such an incredible tax? Yeah, it's it's an uphill battle. 
uh, yeah, and I'm certain that, uh, again, you went from your company that made uh, non-alcoholic products um, to a company that makes alcoholic products, and then suddenly the world just turns upside down, right? Yeah, yeah, we definitely do not incur those kinds of taxes with, with our product, and and definitely not, uh, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot of challenges also, COVID and Everything I mean, oh, well, of course, COVID, everybody's, uh, yeah, everybody's over that for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I meant more even in just the, you make a product that's non-alcoholic, you can sell it anywhere, anytime. You make a product that's alcoholic in the United States of America, and it's got different rules and laws for every state and, frankly, for every county in a lot of cases. So suddenly you're just up against this mountain of what I assume is just arduous paperwork. Hundred percent, and also with the other products, we can literally just make it and ship it to whether it's a customer at home, a, a store, a bar, in anywhere in the country, or someone overseas. While here, there's a three-tier system that we have to abide by, which is quite quite complicated. You know, the the manufacturer needs to sell to a distributor, distributor to a retailer, and retailer to the end customer. So direct to consumer, even though you can purchase our products nationwide on our website. Uh, it's not technically, uh, you know, we're not technically selling it to you. We're facilitating a sale through retailers who are uh, able to fulfill that order for you. That's wild, man. But I mean, do yeah. you, the, the, the one thing that I, that I keep coming back to is that I, I feel like your secret weapon is because you jump through all of these extra hoops that people that make, you know, truly in Bon and Viv and White Claw don't have to jump through is that you get to put that magic word on your can that they don't tequila like you can you because it's made with it, you know, as as much as spiked seltzers can imply that they're a vodka soda, they can't actually put the word vodka on their labeling because that would be misleading. But you get to actually say this is made with tequila because it is. You know, do yeah. you think that really uh, gives you a leg up in the in the mind of the consumer? I think it really does. I think the tequila, not just that we're using tequila, but um, also that we're using uh, 100% agave tequila. So there's there's the mixto tequilas and 100% agaves, and 100% agave tequilas need to just like champagne have a geographic trademark, and so each of these things we, we've we've really thought through in how do we make a product that is as transparent and as high quality as possible. So this is uh, tequila from the highlands of Jalisco and it is bottled over there and imported uh, into the U.S. And it actually, fun fact is it's uh, canned inside a solar powered facility. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and the juice component is is 100% organic juice, not from concentrate, no flavors, no additives. So, being able to say those things on our label, we've we've gone as far as we can to to say it on the label. So it is not only on the back of the label, which, as we were talking about, is not required for for alcohol. You do not need to list ingredients or nutritional facts. So we have uh, stated it on the front of the can, and it is pretty much our the whole packaging design is just the ingredient statement uh, on the front of the can as well as on the back. And then we're a little disappointed with our nutritional panel having to be reduced, but it is there. Um, but yeah. I'm just so enamored with the idea that all the other stuff that gets crammed into like two point font in the back of some other products is the stuff that for you is the major selling point. You're like, no, we want, we want that to be the whole label. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff that's, that's in it. That's what excites us. We, we think that's, something that people want want to know you know they they look so closely at the back of products now they can just see it without you know picking up the product well let's let's talk about um because you guys are fighting all all sorts of good fights all over the place and i i wanted to ask you a little bit about the uh the know your alcohol campaign which is a new campaign that you are uh, are you're involved when it involved with it is this your brainchild or is this something where you've decided hey i'm not fighting enough crusades as as of right now i'm 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 feeling like putting another one on my plate house did a a really good job uh in in orchestrating and and they're uh, another brand that's also cares about caring about what they're putting into the their products and uh, we wanted to to join them and and the other brands that are are part of this transparency movement, 
Um, so we, we did not orchestrate it, but we are a, a proud participant. And I think they did a really good job with uh, making these graphics and, and making it very digestible of all the things we're talking about. You know, what does natural flavors mean? What does, what's going into these products? Um, so yeah, we're, we're very excited about what, what we're part of with them. And so what's the, is this kind of, uh, you know, what, what you're trying to do with your brand, but not specific to you, just kind of a, a larger educational campaign to get the consumer to actually, you know, think, think about and, and, uh, have a, an understanding of what they're buying before they put it in a glass and then put it in their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That- um, I think it's also just letting consumers know that they can go to the websites, check out these products, learn what's in them. If, if they aren't saying what's in them, maybe you should question it. Um, because if the producers are confident and happy with what's in their product, they, they would say it. Um, and also knowing where, where the ingredients are grown. Um, and you know, how responsible the company is. And, and I think it's a growing movement and it's, it's something that has been present in skincare and beauty. Um, but that is really growing in the food industry and, and now in the alcohol industry, I think it's only going to go up from here. So I think it's, it's, sh- it's shocking that this category is you're allowed to be as mysterious as, as you can. The fact that you you do not need to list ingredients. You know, someone might have nut allergens, and you you don't actually need to write whether there there's any nut allergens in your product. Um, so the, there's such a big opening, and and this campaign is really about let's let's highlight the brands that do care about telling you what's in it, uh, who do care about being transparent in those things, and and being a option. For, for you when you're looking to still have some fun, but uh, be feel good about what you're choosing. So it's it's the I guess it's the the answer to all of the products that are out there and the mainstream products that have re, you know, they may have some little dab of flavor to make just that right age note in that bourbon or just the right age note in in a you know, whatever spirit you're looking at, but they don't need to, to list that there. So. This is where we think it's a, a great movement. Yeah, I, I think it's important for obviously the spirit world, but it's it's equally important just for any consumable that you know what you're ingesting. And I think we've gotten so far away from that because we put our you know faith in government agencies like the FDA and the TTB to make sure that everything we're eating is safe. But then we kind of forgot that well, safe doesn't all mean good. <laughs> right or, or or good for us, so we've drifted away from that because of our, uh, I don't know, naivete maybe. Um, but you talked earlier about uh, the the facility in Mexico being solar powered, and I see in my notes here that you're also working with an organization called Leave No Trace. Can you can you tie those two things together for me? Yes. Um, so they actually came together separately. We. Leave No Trace was something that I was extremely passionate about um, when we came up with the idea of creating a consumer brand that we wanted to align with being outdoorsy and um, something you can enjoy really anywhere. Uh, You see white claw cans, I mean, you see garbage everywhere. And I just did not want to see our cans everywhere. Um, and so we can't control the consumer, but what we can do is we can give back, you know, when possible. So one of my missions when creating the, the brand, um, and really thinking about what we wanted it to represent was to have a nonprofit angle. And the, we did a lot of research and we came across leave no trace, which is based in Boulder and they are focused on education. They they don't they're not fighting with these giant nonprofits um, to donate money um, to big things. They really believe that education um, can help make a big change, and I completely agree with that. Um, so they do everything from grassroots cleanups to larger cleanups to 
letting you know like going off trail when you're hiking is really bad for the environment and how to give back um, and to really leave no trace in all aspects of being outdoors. So um, one of the initiatives that we are um, or we will really start doing when the world normalizes a little bit is cleanup. So in all of our markets, we'll be organizing cleanup events from five people to hopefully a thousand people one day um, and just to do a fun a fun cleanup in those markets and if we're going to be drinking out in a park um, to make sure that that park is cleaner than we left it and it's something that's really simple um, but we think that uh, the, the consumer and, and the target um, audience that we're going for uh, really align with that um, and uh, and be in being transparent and in being clean, it, it helps with the consistency across the brand. Um, and that is kind of how we also fell into the solar powered facility, which Chris can speak to more. About. Yeah. The solar powered facility, we, we saw a few different facilities and, and when we came across this one and met the owners and saw that it mattered to them as well to what kind of footprint they were leaving uh, we felt it was it was a good partner aligned with the the values of the brand. Um, so it, bringing that sustainable approach is not just a part of, of our uh, marketing efforts and in, in how we're uh, building a community, but it's also part of the the product. So we we have uh, the cans themselves are aluminum, of course, which is one of the most recycled uh, resources out there, but also how that aluminum can is filled is with solar power. So it's, we try to be as consistent as possible across the board. I love that. And I love the, the focus on just generally across the board of being aware, you know, being aware of what is going into your cans, being aware of what is going into your body and being aware of what you're putting back out into the environment, you know? And I mean, it, like Southern was saying, you know, we, have trusted organizations like the TTB and the FDA to, you know, regulate things and keep us safe because we have to, you know, we, we live in a giant pluralistic society and, you know, you can't be constantly monitoring, you know, whether or not everything that you eat is going to, you know, give you trichinosis or salmonella and kill you. But, you know, there's also, you, you have to be aware of what they do and don't look for and what can sneak in under the line and on the flip side of that there's a sort of awareness of like well what are you putting back out into the world when you go for a hike or when you go for a barbecue or something like that you know and i just love that uh that level of you know you don't have to be one of these folks that you know only eats everything out of their the the garden behind their you know behind where they live to be an aware person who, you know, is just kind of uh, looking out, looking out for the environments and by extension of that kind of looking out for themselves as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I think the more information, the more these, uh, group, uh, what is it? How would you describe the, know your alcohol, the, the effort, the group efforts to educate the consumers yeah. are really important for getting information out there and just making everyone able to make informed decisions, especially when it's not super readily available. That's fantastic. So what's, so what's next for volley? Let me guess you're tackling uh, climate change, <laughs> income inequality, and uh, the recession after the pandemic. That's, that's what's, that's what's next for y'all in the next six weeks. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying. Um, <laughs> that, was, that wasn't real, by the way, <laughs> we're not expecting any of that. of yeah. you. Um, we are we're we're just trying to get our products out to more people so right now it's we we're in six markets we're in new york new jersey florida georgia tennessee and kentucky kentucky just launched this week and uh we've got a few more states about st five states opening up over the next uh two months that we're we're just trying to keep our our heads focused and and making sure we're opening up those properly and getting the word out um, so it's, it's, uh, full steam ahead over at team volley. So lots of exciting things coming also on the packaging front, but, um, that's, that's what we're, we're focused on 110% of the time. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to be an entrepreneur. It's a lot to be an entrepreneur in the in the spirits category. It's a lot to be an entrepreneur in the spirits category during COVID. Like, there's a there's a whole lot going on. Um, but I'm zipping through your website now. I see you've got four flavors: zesty lime, spicy ginger, uh, sharp grapefruit, and tropical mango. They all look delightful. I can't wait to get some into my own hands. Uh, where can the people uh, see your work? You got an Instagram handle you want to throw we out do. there? Yeah, we have a great Instagram called at Drink Volley and then a really funny uh, Twitter uh, that's also at Drink Volley. Uh, highly recommend the Twitter as well as Instagram, but our Twitter account is, is pretty pretty entertaining. Um, not, not a lot of followers there, but each one is highly appreciated and uh, <laughs> hopefully gets a few laughs. And I'll be sure to. Yeah, and on our website as well, you can, you can, there's a map of where to find our product, um, and hopefully we'll be in a market um, nationwide soon. I can't imagine uh, that there'll be many more hurdles coming your way. I hope not, anyway, because uh, it looks like a great uh, addition to the shelf um, in a market that's, you know, saturated with. Again, things that are making you think that they're something that they're not. So it's good to have something on the shelf that's telling you exactly what it is and it's delivering on its promise. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're, we're excited to, to get it out there. So we need all the help in getting the word out. Well, hopefully this will get it out there some more for you and get you some more attention, which will, of course, draw more demand and demand uh, results in uh, supply chain, right? So this is just one of the many steps I'm certain that you've gone through to get it there. So really appreciate having you on the show today, uh, Camilla and Chris from Drink Volley. Um, uh, Greg, you got anything else for us? No, just, um, you know, <laughs> try, try real passion fruit, everybody. <laughs> it's different, <laughs> yeah. but it's worth it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, thank you, guys. Well, that's it for this uh, week's edition of the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, you know, look out for Volley products on, on a shelf coming to you soon. Uh, cheers, everybody. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Thanks Souther. Take care. Cheers, thank guys. Thank you. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.